guys, good news! On today's show, YA novelist Jennifer Matu and my co-host Jessica Cole work out once and for all what happened with the election. Turns out, we're fine! The character was nothing. She was like a total... Like Don't it was, you think they're right. weird? Don't you think they're weird? Like, by the way, I'm moving my fingers like I'm typing as I'm talking. Uh, I was just typing frantically. And I think that people were having feelings about that. Um, <laughs> feelings about that. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Are you having feelings, too? We're in there. As my, I, I as was my... having feelings at the bar at 10 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> That's my feelings right there. They were in their feelings. As my... As my teenage students say, they were in their feelings. To rush them back, too. Yeah. Oh, it's no surprise. This was a man who bragged about giving his wife a frying pan for her birthday. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to women wanting to cook, certainly. Feminism does not mean that women can't cook, but it's just the, this dude. No. <laughs> he was saying that for a reason. Ew, I just got like, a, like the urge to vomit. <laughs> I'm Kate Martin-Williams. I'm Jessica Cole, and this is Effing Shakespeare, by writers, for writers. So Jennifer Matu is the author of The Truth About Alice, which won the Teen Choice Debut Author Award at the Children's Choice Book Awards, Devoted, Afterward, and the forthcoming Moxie, which was both blurbed and optioned by Amy Poehler. Matu's novels are pure fun to read. They also reveal tensions between the judgment and ideals espoused in small-town Texas and an individual more variegated worldview embodied by characters whose difference ruffles the status quo. Matu is unflinching in her portraits of stifling mores that only work for the powerful or lucky, and yet her books find chinks of light between unlikely friends in small moments of regret and remorse and joy and connection. That these moments are often precipitated by or otherwise inspired by reading is not lost on most of her many fans. In Alice, Kurt remembers the favorite book of the girl he's loved from afar, The Outsiders, and gifts her a copy of a first edition when unhappy circumstances bend their paths toward each other. Rachel, the main character in Devoted, escapes her unending chores in her large fundamentalist family, reminiscent of the Quiverful movement, by stealing a few private minutes to read A Wrinkle in Time, and is given the rest of the trilogy by the object of her affection, Mark Treats. In Afterward, Caroline and Ethan's alternating point of views and backward timeline help them and us to read the unknowable horrors Caroline's autistic brother cannot describe when he was kidnapped by the same man Ethan was taken by years earlier. A translation that heals them both. Believable, compassionate, and illuminating, Matu's books are, as Amy Poehler succinctly put it, sweet, funny, and fierce. Read them and join the fight. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Which is sort of a great segue. I think I meant to do it this way um, <laughs> because I'd love to hear about going to LA. I think oh, when I first yeah. emailed you to be on the show, mm-hmm. you had just gotten back. Yeah. What was it like? It was crazy. Um, well, the whole thing has been really just bonkers from the start. Uh, <laughs> Um, there had been some film interest in the truth about Alice, but nothing that ever really panned out. And um, but then with Moxie, um, it uh, it all happened really, really quickly. My 
my literary agent has connections with a book to film agent um, who sent it out uh, before the long Thanksgiving weekend at the end of 2016. And it was right after the election. And I think that people were having feelings about that. Um, <laughs> feelings about that. <laughs> a little bit. You a little bit, Flew. Were you having feelings, Flew? We're in there. As my, I, I as was my... having feelings at the bar at 10 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> That's my feelings right there. They were in their feelings. As my, as my teenage students say, they were in their feelings for good reason, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was just, I, it's a bit, just a horrible blur of, 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 I don't even know. I, yeah. We're still feeling it. Uh, yeah. It's not getting better. No. Um, but worse. <laughs> worse, yeah. Um, worse than I thought it was going to get, which shows my, I'm way more, I never thought I was an optimist. I thought I had a good imagination. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but it did. But it, of course, it was in the moments after that, and we were all just this collective, you know, just done feeling. And, um, and so the book to film agent, she was like, you know, I think that, this is a time to send this out. This is a, a book about feminism and female empowerment. We just elected a sexual predator um, to be president. Uh, and so she... And none of this had been... I mean, it was a completed manuscript. Oh, yeah. Like, nothing political. Oh, nothing political. No, when I wrote this book, when I finished this book, um, uh, yeah, no, there was this... I'm trying to think when I finished it in the t- relation to the events, our current events. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I have to tell you... When, one thing I was thinking as I was writing this book, finishing it up, was I guess at this point we knew that Hillary was going to be the nominee. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. I'm going to have such a hard time selling this feminist novel when we have a female president because everyone's going to tell me that we're post-patriarchy. We're and we're wow. fine now. Girls can do anything. I would Jennifer. Give, it's just like racism, right? We're post-slavery. I mean, you know, everything's fine. I, I would give anything to have that problem now. Right. You know, I right. wish that I were running around trying to right. sell this novel is still important because, of course, it still would have been relevant even yeah. if we had it. Just like racism didn't go away when we when we elected Barack Obama, right. you know, sexism wasn't going to go away mm-hmm. if, if Hillary had won. But I I remember thinking it would have been. <laughs> Thank you, Jess. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> if she had not had the election stolen from right, her. Right. Um, but I, you know, so in that moment, but of course, you know, here it was, he won. Um, the The manuscript was, we were in copy edits, I think at this point. And uh, so the manuscript was mostly done. Um, and so we, she sent it out. And then by, by winter break, by the holidays, uh, I had spoken to Amy Poehler on the phone and the deal was done. So it was a matter of like three weeks and it uh, was super bizarre. And there was, there was several people that were interested and I had a couple phone calls. Of course she was the biggest name and you know, it was so hilarious when we, when we did the call, um, you know, I, I didn't think that she had really, first of all, I didn't think she was going to be on the call. A, I thought it would just be her executives. And because that had been the case with uh, somebody else that was interested. But, um, and did she say, hi, Jennifer, it's Amy. Well, no, but so my book to film agent, whose name is Dana, she had said, we had a conference call prior, like the day before. And she, and I, and I was like, well, do you think Amy even read the book? And, and Dana goes, oh, well, Amy's on the call. Amy's going to be on the call. And my literary agent, Carrie Sparks, uh, who is amazing also, she was like, wait, what? Cause like Carrie had, had tried to kind of tell me, you know, Carrie was like, you got to keep your expectations low. Like Amy probably hasn't read it. Like maybe it's just being vetted or well, she's been, she skimmed it. 
So we get this call and Amy Poehler's on the call and she was, I have to tell you, any Amy Poehler fans listening, the most genuine, like exactly how you'd hope she would be. Like so (sighs) awesome, funny, smart, genuine, down to earth. It didn't feel like you're talking to like a famous person. Uh uh Uh, She was just awesome. And she had, she had read like, I mean, she was like, and this scene, when this happened and in this scene, in this scene, like she had read my book and (laughs) I cried. I cried after the phone call. I was so excited. And my husband was like, my husband was like, cause you know, a lot of books get optioned and they mm-hmm. don't ever return, become films. Um, and I remember, you know, being like, well, you know, it's probably not going to be made into a movie really, but I mean, it's just great that it was optioned. And, and my husband, Kevin was like, the fact that an artist that you admire, cause I've admired her since, you know, since her early days on Saturday Night Live and Upright Citizens Brigade before that, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin was like, the fact that an artist that you admired, who's that of that caliber of success admired your work is like, that's it. Like everything else is like icing on the icing on the icing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was done. So I did go out to LA. Unfortunately, Amy was not there because she was doing promotion for, um, which is probably good because I would have probably passed out or something. I did go to her (laughs) office. I was in her offices in West Hollywood, which are really cute and decorated with parks and rec, uh, stuff and it's really great and um she has the yes please (laughs) well yeah right i wish i was she had if you've read her memoir yes please which i read and loved and the audiobook she recorded yes 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 and the yes please sign is hanging in the office so i got to see Uh, that i wanted to take pictures but i didn't want to be a big old spaz (laughs) so uh but at any rate but we met with the screenwriter um and she is really great i really liked her take on um on the book and she she's like I read your book seven times and um so that was fun to just listen to her ideas and I think that so they're they're in the process now of writing the screenplay with the goal that it will be done by the end of the summer so around now and then then of course a lot of next steps have to happen um and it is it's you know it's still a crapshoot whether or not it'll actually become a film but I think that they're they're really excited about it and they're committed to it so but just the process has been really fun and, and is I, it going to be Julia Roberts yeah. or Jennifer Lawrence? <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence, who knows? He's good. It was like at one point when I was on the phone call with Amy and she was like, well, you know, like. Or Amy. Yeah. She be Amy. Well, I think she's maybe, I don't know. Like, so she's like, well, you know, maybe I'd want a director of like, being a sh-. and then she goes, I mean, not that, the, not that like this deal that we're, you know, if we, if, the, if this happens, like not that like it has to be me. I was like. I wanted to be like, Please. you can do, you can act all the parts. I mean, like you can just do a one woman show. You can change the name of the book. The Just call it Amy Poehler in Moxie. Like, like she was so like humble about it. I was like, are you kidding me? Like it's, you know, it's hard not to fangirl out too much because she's yeah, just the sure, best. Yeah. I just love her so much because she's yeah. so honest and open about her feminism and she's but and she's like funny and just so creative and she just doesn't take any guff and I just yeah. adore her I just love her so much <laughs> I can just go on and on I wish she had been Every sitting day. in like the front seat when I got backed into by that guy because mm-hmm. she would have the best she would have the best yeah. comeback and it yeah, would have been yeah, like appropriate yeah. to say in front of my kids well, you know I love that really jabby I love that story about her where she I forget who she said it to some male comedian it's in Tina Fey's bossy Jimmy, pants Jimmy Fallon did she say to I don't care if you like it yeah 
so Jimmy Fallon made some crack in the writer's room at SNL about something not, you know, some, I don't, he said it wasn't funny or I don't even know. And so Tina Fey and Bossy Pants is relating this moment. And, and she just, without skipping a beat, she just looked at him and said, I don't care if you like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if you think it's cute yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, like without skipping a beat. Oh, totally. God, Do you mind reading an excerpt? Mm-hmm. Be great. Yeah, of course. So this is from really early on in the book. So Moxie, of course, it is about a young woman who uh, lives in a small town in, in Texas, and she is sort of inspired to start this underground feminist revolution that comes to be known by the name of Moxie. And her inspiration is her her mom's Riot Girl past. And Riot Girl was this feminist punk rock movement out of the Pacific Northwest in Washington, D.C., And one of the things that these young women did, they would make zines, these little homemade fanzines or magazines, and they made cassettes and they had bands and everything. And so in this scene, Viv is feeling frustrated by something that happened at school, this really sexist remark by a guy in her class, and she's just feeling frustrated and she's putting away the laundry at home. She's the only one there and she she was old Riot girl stuff that she hasn't gone through in a while. I'm hanging up some of my mom's simple sundresses when my eye catches on a fat, beat-up shoebox she keeps on her closet's top shelf. In black Sharpie, it's labeled, My Misspent Youth. I slide the final dress into place, tease the shoebox out of its resting spot, and take it to my bedroom. I've looked in this box before, back when Claudia and I went through our Joan Jett dancing cat video phase. (laughs) I used to love to take down this box and study the contents, but I haven't pawed through it in years. Now I open it up and carefully spill the cassette tapes and old photographs and neon-colored leaflets and dozens of little photocopied booklets with titles like Girl Germs and Jigsaw and Gunk out onto my bed. I pick up a Polaroid of my mom where it looks like she was just a few years older than I am now, maybe 19 or 20. In the photograph, she has a platinum blonde streak in her long, dark hair, and she's wearing a tattered green baby doll dress and combat boots. She's sticking her tongue out at the camera and her arms are around the neck of another girl who has dark eyes and a piercing through her eyebrow. In black marker written down, one of my mom's arms are the words, riots, not diets. Hmm. My mom doesn't talk much about her younger years before she met my dad in Portland, but when she does, she always grins a little with pride, maybe remembering how she graduated from high school and drove an ancient Toyota she'd bought with her own money to Washington State just because that's where her favorite bands lived and played. Bands with names like Heaven to Betsy and Excuse 17. Bands made up almost entirely of girls who played punk rock and talked about equal rights and made little newsletters they referred to as zines. They called themselves the Riot Girls. (laughs) So So good. Are those real band names? Yes, those were all real band names. And those were actually all real zines, too, that I have a couple of old copies of. But yeah, those are all real Riot Girl artifacts. (laughs) I was trying to name drop stuff so that if young readers want to look stuff up, you know. Sure. They can, yeah. I so wish this had been around when I was in high school, you know. (laughs) Me too. Exactly. (laughs) I wrote it for my high school self. I mean, I really did, yeah. It was a letter to my own high school self. Oh, that's who, fantastic. who I wish had had something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I, my mom was a feminist mm-hmm. and we weren't allowed to play with Barbies, uh-huh. which I was like totally cool with. Mm-hmm. 
but I didn't ever understand how to translate that into mm-hmm. the just the, like mystifying calculus of being a high school girl yeah. with like standards and ideas about how the world works, mm-hmm. you know, and Barbies. Yeah. I, I felt empowered by that, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. by not, you know, having that choice. Um, but I didn't know how to translate it to, you know, I feel like if this had been around, mm-hmm. if something like this had been around that, I, that, you know, I could have been able to connect. I don't know. Jess, does that feel true oh, for yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, middle school was more that time. And my, my middle school was fifth grade through eighth grade. And I'm like one of the oldest in my, in my grade. This would have helped so much because middle, that eighth grade was, was that year where mm-hmm. I just, um, everything fell apart and I, I could not translate. My mom's a feminist as well. And it, uh, it was, we had so many power struggles over it, even though I also agreed with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like, mm-hmm. How do I agree with you and not be in the situation where, um, actually this reminds me of um, the truth about Alice too, because I did have things written in the bathroom about mm. me in eighth grade, oh. not, uh, not about um, uh, sluttiness or mm-hmm. perceived sluttiness um, because I was pre-sexual, but uh, you know, just, I, I have no idea what they were, but it was, you know, about being a jerk or something like yeah. that. Um, and yeah, I've deliberately forgotten them, but um <laughs> I do. There's something about um, the fact that I blushed. So I think there was something about how my face sometimes got as red as a tomato, which of course sounds so benign compared to what what Alex had to deal with. But (laughs) it was, you know, in the bathroom for all of everyone to see and, you know, pretty awful for whatever it was. But yeah, um, I actually found my own group of Riot Girls in high school, which was really helpful, even though I didn't know they were Riot Girls. We didn't call ourselves (laughs) that. But it was... You know, um, I think it was being brought to the lowest and, and had, mm-hmm. you know, having things written about me that were mean in the bathroom that um, sort of released me from all of that. And I was like, oh, right. This is a pe- like mom was right. Jen Kratz was horrible. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all these girls are terrible. Oh. And she's she was right not to like, you know think that Barbie you know it stemmed it started from Barbies in fifth grade and then ended up with you know the, the other stuff in mm-hmm. eighth grade and then it it was horrible and then it was like a crucible and then it you know mm-hmm. released me and then I found my um my tribe that's good um, in high yeah. school which was lucky that's good for but, sure yeah eighth grade you're, you're definitely you definitely wrote it for my eighth grade self <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the power struggle with your mom because I think that's one thing that in Moxie is explored that was one of my favorite parts of writing the book mm-hmm. in that Vivian obviously her mom was this feminist riot girl but she's settled down she's in her early 40s she's um Vivian's dad died when she was a baby so it's just Viv mm-hmm. and her mom and um, you know, Viv's mom is a nurse and she's just trying to save her daughter's college fund. And of course, she still has her politics, but she's a more, um, you know, a, a probably just a, a less radical or less sort of wild version of her, of her younger self. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Vivian has been raised by this feminist mom, but the mom, there's a, there's a tension there with the mom as she the mom starts to date and and she dates a guy that Vivian thinks is like who is 
who is a Republican and Vivian's like, how can you date a Republican? And, and uh, so it's, it's this sort of tension between this and, and the mom's like, well, you don't understand that, you know, as you get older, there's like nuance and complexity and it's not always so black and white. And, uh, and so there's a lot of struggle between Vivian and her mom, even though Vivian's mom has inspired Viv to do the things that she does in the mm. book. Vivian has to figure out how to make it her own, and Vivian's mom has to figure out how to let her daughter go a little mm. bit too. So that's one of my favorite things about, of, uh, one of my favorite parts about writing Moxie was writing this mother-daughter relationship and trying to work that out. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't wait to read it. I, I found the mother-daughter relationships in so many of the books that you're mm-hmm. yeah. in, the, the many relationships mm-hmm. that exist in the three books that I've read. Um, to be nuanced in a way that sometimes can be difficult in young adult fiction, mm-hmm. especially because they're just from a craft point of view, they're mm-hmm. so often orbiting the characters, yeah, yeah, and you don't want them to be, you know, just the, you know, the the villain or the person right. who doesn't understand the teen right. or um, those kinds of things. And I felt that was really satisfying. That okay. even even the truth about Alice mm-hmm. with a I, it's Elaine and her mom mm-hmm. and yeah. the Weight Watchers they share. Yeah. yeah, And you allow Elaine to have that moment where she's like, Mom, I'm not going to go. Right, right. And yeah. Elaine's not even the, you know, the protagonist uh-huh. of the story, but yeah. she still has like a sort of nuanced relationship mm-hmm. with her mom where she takes her mom's feelings into account, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day has to decide. Has to make her own decisions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, when I started kind of reading YA when I became an English teacher 13 years ago, at the time, there was sort of this idea that you, the first rule of YA is you get rid of the parents. You know, no no kid wants to read about parents huh. and take the parents, get you know, uh, get them out of the way somehow. And and there are you know there are YA novels. I mean, one of the first of the cat of, of the of the world of YA, The Outsiders. There's no adults in that book, and that's one of my that's favorite true. books. You know, that's mm-hmm. sort of like the one of the seeds of, of the YA that we read today. So there are YA books that that do follow that rule successfully, but in my mind um, and the more books that I write um, you know teenagers lives uh, they're affected by the adults in their lives be it their parents their teachers they don't live in a world without parents um, sure. th- they may wish they would at some point they don't but they don't live in a world without adults adults have a huge impact on their lives mm-hmm. for better or for worse and so writing well-developed adult characters in my books even though they're intended uh, or they they they're intended for a teenage reader. Of course, I welcome all readers, but they, they're in the category of young adult. I still feel like teen readers want to read about, about that complexity and that difficulty that they may be facing with adults in their lives because they're living it. So, totally, sure. But that doesn't mean that teenagers are simplistic or superficial or flat characters or um, something that drives me bananas, and I never, ever get this from teen readers. I only get it from adults, is uh, adults that get angry at me in my books that I haven't uh, delivered a more satisfying or what they consider to be a more satisfying ending, especially with The Truth About Alice. Like, nobody got blamed. The, the bullies weren't punished. Uh, <laughs> You know, it didn't work out the way it should have. And it's like, well, yeah, because this is real. These are real stories. You know, I mean, they're not real stories, but you know what I mean? Like, but teenagers can smell that garbage. It's the way that we used to laugh at, uh, you know, after school specials or something. We we knew when we were being sold a message mm-hmm. and it we didn't listen to it because it was corny. And, and, you know, teenagers today are no different. They they crave stories that treat them like the complex um 
you know, nuanced people that they are. And uh, so I really uh, try to honor that when I write when I write their For characters. Sure. We found out about the dedication uh. from Twitter. Do you mind reading the dedication? Oh, I would love to. I want to read it all the time. Um, <laughs> so the dedication is... Um, for all the teenage women fighting the good fight, and for my 12th grade current topics teacher for calling me a feminazi in front of the entire class, you insulted me, but you also sparked my interest in feminism. So really, the joke is on you. Mm-hmm. Revenge is best served cold, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh so fun to write that. It was just so fun. And I have to tell you that I had shared that on my personal Facebook page. It's, that's where I don't have any like author stuff. It's just people who I, I know well, and I had shared it on there. And um, a couple of folks that I went to high school with said, well, who was it? You know, which teacher was it? And I, I shared the name of the, of the person, which I won't do now, but I shared it <laughs> privately in that group. And I had so many other girls uh, mention things that he had said to them also, just real jerky things. And, um, of course, at the time, we didn't know, you know, we didn't realize, we didn't put it all together. We were, and we were scared to speak up. And so um, it's really sort of a perfect example of why this book, I feel, was important to write. Absolutely. Because um, I know I'm sure that stuff's still happening now, unfortunately. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's true for you too, Jess, that, like, we we both have had those experiences. And isn't it something yeah. that all of the things that we talk about to each other... Yeah. It wasn't a shared thing right. back when yeah. it was happening. Yeah, when it was happening, and we didn't want to you know, rock the boat, and it was a religious school, so it was very conservative in a lot of ways. Not that all religious people are conservative, but my school was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so it was just very, um, it was just, you know, you just didn't say anything, and the teacher was always right. And, you know, I remember just burning with humiliation and not really understanding what did this mean, feminazi. It was at the time when Rush Limbaugh, I graduated from high school in 1994, so Rush Limbaugh was kind of coming to his, oh the peak of his fame, and um, and he was the one that was using the term. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but it was so validating to have all these other women, you know, be like, he said this to me, and he said this to me. There was one woman in particular that uh, said, um, he had stopped her once in the student parking lot and told her that she she had to stop driving around like she thought she was the queen of England or something really <laughs> super insulting. <laughs> Like, you jerk. How do you drive around? Like, I know. Like, I think that's a drive. life goal. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my word. Yeah. So, oh, man. It was a great dedication. And so you know that your teacher listened to Rush Limbaugh, too. Yeah. Oh, it's no surprise. Uh, this was a man who bragged about giving his wife a frying pan for her birthday. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to women wanting to cook, certainly. Feminism does not mean that women can't cook. But it's the, this dude... No. <laughs> no. He was oh saying gosh. that for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know where. I hope he's not teaching children anymore. I know he's not at my old high school, but hopefully yeah. he's retired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about the the um, review that we were reading today, Jessica. The Kirkus review. Uh, yes. <laughs> Like, damn you for not writing the <laughs> yeah. manual on how right, to, right. you know, mm-hmm. 
be a proper gender bending feminist. <laughs> yes, that includes the male point of view, the, ma- the white male point of view. Why didn't you write the book that I envisioned? <laughs> Why didn't you write the book that I for you to write? Yeah, I mean, you know, my my answer to that because I've you know I've mm-hmm. um, I've been interviewed. I've already been asked about that at um, it was another interview I was doing and. So my answer is that, of course, you know, when you write and you put your work out there and it's published, uh, it's open for criticism and people are entitled to whatever opinion they want to have about it. Right. Um, that's their right, obviously, as reviewers. I, that said, I was very heartened by the response that I received um, from the YA community and just readers in general um, who seem to kind of have a different point of view. And so I appreciated that. That was a very, uh, that was very heartening to read some of the responses that I had. From I, fe- I felt the same way. I was annoyed for you on your behalf when I first read it. Like they're, t- they're completely missing the point. That's not the. Book I really, she was I should, I could send them a fruit basket though because I have to tell you, I got a lot of people telling me that they were ordering the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Goodreads is full of it. It's like, I mean, it was I mean, a little funny. I, my publicist yeah. was joking around. She was like, "Well, maybe people." are going to think that I like planted this review. (laughs) (laughs) I had this horrible experience. Jess, I haven't even told you about this. Um, Speaking of feminism and like our relationship to our our kids. Yeah. Um, So I was pulling into a part. I was, no, I was loading my kids into a car Mm -hmm. in a super crowded um, parking lot. And Foo, did I tell you this story? No. Um, no, God, it's making me shake just thinking about it. So I'm, I'm loading all the kids up and, um, one of my kids is able to get into her car seat and buckle herself in and then, or two of them are. And then I have a a young uh, one year old. Mm -hmm. So I'm like plugging him in. It's 500 degrees outside. Um, I think Sophie, my oldest is holding my cup of tea, Mm -hmm. you know, but I, I, I can sense that somebody's like angling for the spot next to me, which right. was like blessedly open so that I could like pile the children right, in the car. Right. And so Soph call, Sophie says, Mom, Mom, like, he can wait. He can wait just one second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he backs the car in. The car door is open and he backs his car into my open car door, like touches his car against my car door. And Sophie at this point is like, Mom, he's on the car and I turn around and like give him a look and then I put um get Sophie in the car and sort of like okay figuring yeah, out yeah. what this What's altercation going is going to be and um I exchange a couple words with him and he says something about me taking my sweet time Ugh. and with my three kids <laughs> yeah dumb dumb yeah <laughs> I look in and his wife's sitting in the front seat and she's completely mute mm. like she says nothing and I, I was like, I have my kids with me. I'm moving as fast as I can, something like that. And um, I like look. I finally get out of the situation, and I had forgotten that my keys were in the car door because of like all this right, mess. Right. They're like still in the oh, lock, no. and so I have to roll my window down to get the keys oh. out. And our windows sort of pass and align on the way out. And he yeah. looks at me and goes, "That's a good girl." <gasps> As I'm backing Ew, I just got like, Serious a, like the urge to vomit. <laughs> Ew. It was. And then I'm sure you thought of the best response like 20 minutes later. Oh, 45 minutes yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. I said, and he, and he paused to like give me a chance to say something. And he's like, it's your turn now or something. And I'm like, 
in that moment, I'm like, how do I teach my kid right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. to stand up for herself, yeah. you know, without being a complete a-hole? Right, and, like, right, to right. Level. Yeah. And it's also really scary because men can always, yeah. I mean, anyone can, but men especially, you know, it's like that old Margaret Atwood quote, men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. Yeah. You yeah. know? And I mean, there's always that threat of violence too, I think. Yeah, I just, you know, I think about men like that, and, and I think also about well, Bell Hooks wrote the book Feminism is for Everybody, and, yeah. you know, all I can think about when you think somebody like that is who, who talks to a woman like that and whose wife obviously doesn't feel like she can say anything yeah. is suffering in his own in his own torturous way. He needs to be liberated, too. He's mm-hmm. still the mm-hmm. oppressor, but... He, he he's locked into this yeah. ridiculous narrative of, of patriarchy, which tells men that, you know, they have to act a certain way and they have to be macho and they have to be violent and all women. of this. Yeah. Yeah. They have to intimidate women to be real men and all of this mm-hmm. nonsense. And so that story just makes me so frustrated <laughs> and also uh, heartbroken, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So and how my, do you model that for girls? I, you know, it's hard, it's a hard thing because again, I think the threat of violence is re- very real. Sure. And yeah. So you have to, you have to take that into consideration too. It's hard. My answer was to, we were sitting in five o'clock traffic all the way home from the zoo. And, um, my answer was to, I passed Sophie, my little journal that I had in mm-hmm. the, like, you mm-hmm. know, the car, and just like started dictating a short story about it to yeah. her, and she was like, "Okay, what next? What next? Yeah, like how are we gonna do this?" <laughs> right, right. Really, you know, but it took it took about twenty minutes to sort of like compile any sort of like composure after mm-hmm, that, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's what we do. So we, creepy. Yeah, the, awful. the pen is mightier than the sword, like you said. That's right. Fix it in fiction. <laughs> that's right. Yes. yes. Like your dedication. That's, that's right. Exactly. That's right. Revenge is best served cold. Oh, man. Yeah. Is that a Klingon proverb? Yeah, I think it should be, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. The famous Klingon Definitely. proverb. Yeah. How did you get to devoted? I guess it's sort of talking about the patriarchy. I Jess and I both loved. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Um, well, honestly, devoted came from a lifelong interest in um, in extremes of all kinds, but particularly religious extremes. Um, I always. Whenever I say what I'm about to say, I always think people are going to think I'm super weird. But, like, I'm obsessed with cults. I've read every book, fiction and nonfiction, probably. I just read The Girls, if you've ever read um, Emma oh, Klein, uh, Emma which Klein. is a thinly veiled fictional tale of the Manson murders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just really fascinated by um, – I'm, I'm just – I saw this PBS documentary one time about Jonestown and uh, the survivor's – the survivor said, nobody wakes up one morning and decides to join a cult. Mm-hmm. And that just always stayed with me because it made perfect sense. But yet people end up in them all the time. And so I... Um, have was, you, just to interrupt, have you read Going Clear? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. It's and so the good. Do- the PBS documentary. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh, no, it's HBO. It's an HBO it's documentary, it's yeah. Um, so I'm just really fascinated by what pushes people to those extreme places. And, um, and I was raised Catholic... Uh, and I, I do go to church and people are surprised when they hear me because I'm very progressive in my views, but that actually t- to me is not in conflict with being Christian. Um, I go to a, a progressive Lutheran church, but um, 
devoted to me was uh, I was fascinated by the Duggar family mm-hmm. uh, from the reality television show 19 Kids and Counting and now there's some other derivative version of it going on or something I don't I don't watch the show uh, at all anymore um, but I started watching it really like as a novelty I have one child and I can barely manage to microwave the <laughs> organic chicken nuggets um, so when I think about even like you with three children I'm like how like what you know um, so you know the idea of having 19 children was just so crazy to me I just didn't how does that work so I started watching it for that and then I realized quickly that there's a religious element to their lives and I read a book by a reporter named Catherine Joyce called Quiverful Inside the Christian Patriarchy and the Duggar family practices this uh, this faith tradition I guess you could say so I read her book and I ended up contacting her because I just thought it would be fascinating to write a, no- a novel. I kept thinking, what if one of the Duggar daughters decided she didn't want to be a Duggar anymore? Mm-hmm. And um, so I ended up interviewing Catherine Joyce, the, the writer, put me in touch with um, uh, one particular person named Hannah Ettinger, who I dedicated, devoted to, uh, who's also a writer herself. In fact, she's about to start her MFA program. Uh, uh, nice. So I'm really so happy for her. Uh, but she was raised in a family like the Duggars, oldest of nine kids. And I interviewed her at length and interviewed a friend of hers and then kind of got lost down this wormhole um, where I was just reading all these narratives about by young women and a few young men who were raised in this family, these types of families. And yeah, I saw that you mentioned Jesus Land, which yeah. is a book that I loved as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, um, and they weren't particularly quiverful in that the idea of being quiverful is that you have it comes from a line in the bible about happy is the man with many children it's their their quivers full of arrow his quiver is full of mm-hmm. arrows so the idea is that you have a lot of children and rachel in the book is is one of 10 kids uh you have a lot of children to be soldiers for christ essentially um and so uh i i just I don't know. I was just so fascinated by how does someone end up in that kind of family? And one thing I really wanted to explore in the book, too, is that Rachel loves her parents. They only really want what's best for her. And they uh, think that this way of living is the, the best and really the only way. And that's how she'll earn eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. And I was really fascinated by how as a young person, we all go through that period where we're growing up. Most of us, I think do where we start to think, are parents really right about this? Are they, are they really (laughs) right about politics? Are they really right about religion? Are they really right about whatever? And you go, I think that's really natural. So I, I tried to, I took this really extreme version of that and that's really where devoted came from. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the hardest that's book true. I that's ever wrote. That's another mother-daughter relationship. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. So nuanced and lovely, and yeah, with her mom suffering a miscarriage and sort of yeah. retreating, and then, yeah, it was so, yeah, it was Thank really you. poignant and heartbreaking. It was the hardest book oh, I wrote. Yeah. I wrote eighty thousand words, and I destroyed it. I started all over again. Oh gosh, it was what the happened? most torturous writing process ever. Um, well, it was my first time writing on deadline for a publisher. Okay. So, you know, Truth About Alice sold, but, you know, I was just written it. I didn't think it was going to sell. I'd had two manuscripts before that I got me an agent but never sold. And so um, devoted what – so when the Truth About Alice sold, it was a two-book deal. And, um, and so I was like, you know, I'm very compliant about deadlines. And, you know, so my publisher was like, well, we need a manuscript by X day. And then my editor at the at, – at Macmillan Roaring Brook left right after 
Um, Truth About Alice had just gone into like proofreading, like the very final stages. So it didn't affect the Truth About Alice. But then um, she left, Nancy Mercado, who's wonderful, and my incredibly gifted and amazing editor, who I'm still with now, Kate Jacobs, came on board. But she was kind of getting caught up to speed. She was taking on some of Nancy's writers, and it was crazy. And and I had this deadline, and I didn't have the I didn't have a full relationship with Kate yet. I didn't really have an editor to talk to, yeah. and I just knew that I had to turn this book in by whatever this date was. And so I was just compelled by this deadline. And I was panicking because I was I was being paid for this book. I had already been paid. I got the first half of the advance, and that was just the most bizarre feeling as a writer. Uh, and and I knew I had to, to be del- paid at all. <laughs> yeah, to be paid at all. It was like shocking, <laughs> right? I mean, that's shocking. It's just like what you know. Tell me more and, about this bizarre feeling. I mean, it's, it is a, it is it really is a bizarre feeling. It changes the way, and I'm not sitting here going like, don't pay me. Like writers should be paid. Uh, yeah. I'm not trying to romanticize anything, but it does color and change the way that you think about no, writing in a way that's yeah, hard yeah. to really deal with sometimes. And so I just wrote Devoted. I just wrote it. I just, and I knew it was actually a very good experience. I can say this now, three books later, because, um, or two books later, um, that I knew it wasn't working. Uh, I was just info dumping. Like I was just like, look at this weird family. Look at how they're weird. Like the character was nothing. She was like a total like don't it you was, think right. Weird? Don't you think they're weird? Like, by the way, I'm moving my fingers like I'm typing as I'm talking. Uh, I was just typing frantically, you know, and I was like, this is weird. And I was just trying to info dump every um, everything I learned through my research. And the, the character of Rachel didn't didn't have a heart. And I knew I knew. And this is just for me. Now I know this when something feels like it's not working. It's not working for me anyway. <laughs> You know, when I, I mean, not that I think I'm some terrific writer or anything, but when I'm writing, I'm like, yeah, this is sounding okay. I, I know I need to fix some things, but I'm feeling good about it. I, I typically know that it's, mm-hmm. that it's, I'm on the right track at least. Mm-hmm. So with Devoted, I just wrote it. All I could think was I just needed to get it written. And I, and then finally, when my editor got it, we had to have this very difficult phone call. My agent was involved. I thought I was going to have to give my advance back. I, I was crying. Oh, and gosh, you know, I mean, because it was like it couldn't be salvaged. Oh, I mean, there was nothing there that uh-huh. I could reuse. Uh-huh. And um, and then I ended up having to rewrite it in a very very tight time frame, and I still don't know how I did it. And it worked out, and it ended up being a book that probably of my writing that I'm the, the most proud of. But I don't advise. <laughs> <laughs> don't advise writing that one. First write 80,000 words. <laughs> what I should have done, what I should have done now, now that I know better, is I should have stopped when I knew it wasn't working and I should have gone to McMillan and said, I know that Nancy's gone. I know that Kate is new and she doesn't really know me, but somebody needs to help me because this isn't working and I don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I would have saved everybody a lot of pain. Um, but you must have had all those ideas about what the sophomore effort's going to be like and who, yeah. you know. Sophomore syndrome, yeah, it's real. I mean, yeah. I've known, I have had friends that have had very easy second books, but for the most part, uh, when I think about my author friends who are published, their second books were difficult. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's yeah. just part of it. Your second book ended up in the trash. That was the third <laughs> book. She just right. skipped her second book. Right. She withheld it from the we, rest of us. You never, you never need to read it. 
Justin Liz Gilbert say something amazing about Committed, which was her, mm -hmm. which isn't her second book. Yeah, at all, I was just right. gonna say but that. But after Kate, the fame so of Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah, right. And she was like, "I'm so glad." Like, I just, I mean, of course, she has the luxury of, mm -hmm. you know, being her. So it's <laughs> important. Liz Gilbert. That. It's an important point to make. That. But she was like. Everyone was like, you know, it's gonna, it's not gonna be as good. It's gonna, you know, and, and she was like, and I delivered, you know, I wrote from my heart. I I did what I could, but it was like, yep, it's trash, just like everyone said, <laughs> and now I can move on. Yeah, she really did. I so that did she, not yeah. get good reviews? Was it not? Oh, I never terrible read Terrible reviews. I didn't read it. I didn't read it and, either. Well, I, didn't yeah. I bought it. I own it, but I just never, I never read it. But she did, she just sort of said, damn straight, it's not gonna be as good. She yeah. wasn't. Was it about her marriage? Yeah. yeah. Which ended. Which ended. Which ultimately ended. ended. But at the time, she was she's married. That's funny. Right. Yeah. It was the first year after she got back. But I, I appreciate yeah. that she's honest about it. She probably yeah. had a two book deal too. <laughs> <laughs> she probably had to deliver that manuscript. Right. I think. I mean, again, I think it was her fourth book, but it was her. her it, was, it was her sophomore effort after her. After, huge, after her huge hit. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. right, right. And then she went on. Um, was it right after that, Jess, that she mm -hmm. did? Um, Signature of all things. Signature of all things, mm -hmm. which was yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. Did you read that? No, I did not. I did not. And really she just good. completely jumped ship and did fiction then. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We knew her actually at, at University of Tennessee. Wow. She just knew randomly. her. I tagged along oh. on Jess's coattail. <laughs> you did know her. Um, but she she was really good friends. Well, really good friends. She was good friends with uh, Michael Knight, who's um mostly known as a short story writer, mm -hmm, although he's mm -hmm. written a couple of novels. And he, um, he's, he's a professor of creative writing at, at UT. Mm -hmm. And um, Kate and I both had him as our, our advisor slash directors. And he and Liz had met at um, like a writer's colony sort of thing. Mm. And he invited her to come teach for a semester at UT, which she'd never done before and never did since. She very much decided that, although I think it was overall a, a good experience, she was like, I don't, I don't want to be part of academia, or <laughs> you know, because she doesn't have to. But, but right. her, but, but actually, it was while she like was finishing up mm -hmm. Eat, Love, so it was like you know at the end of her semester, she mm -hmm. had like the galleys for it or something. Wow. And, I wonder if um, she knew how yeah. huge it was going to be. I don't know. I wonder. Yeah. I mean, her whole life changed after that. So we yeah. actually met her right before her life, like huge, hugely change, changed. Change. She was yeah. really generous. Yeah. She was That's super good. generous and yeah. lovely and especially to, to female writers in the yeah. program. That's great. Yeah. That's good so to maybe know. there's some disgruntled male writers out there who are <laughs> like, too bad. Liz like the girls better. <laughs> I'm sure we'll hear from them. Sure they'll find yeah, them. Yeah. Sure they'll find a mentor. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, there might be a couple a couple Just to some Norman Mailer and calm down. <laughs> right. Like everyone else. <laughs> Literally every other person. The idea, of course, is that, so when we were trying to figure out the, the name for this podcast is we were coming up with like, oh, what about this quote? What about this little <laughs> phrase? And like, who who was that? And it was always freaking Shakespeare. <laughs> so it became this thing like, 
it's just you know of course yeah because he invented like a third of the english language or something (laughs) and then it's like thank god for him yeah shakespeare you know you wouldn't have like yeah anyway so it's like we can't ever be good enough because Mm -hmm. he or they or she or whoever (laughs) was (laughs) the bard (laughs) the bard right um but then, yeah, whoever it was, thank God that, you know, yes. we get this stuff in the world. Um, and then the idea of, you know, there are either like 36 plots mm-hmm, and no mm-hmm. more, or really there are only three. Oh, no, actually, there are only one, you know, mm-hmm. men or woman against him or herself. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so everything after that is just basically, you know, pointless Tinkering. fluff. Right. And yet we're, you know, but that's what we're, we're so, all engaged in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so... What I don't know what your um, well you teach tenth grade English so yeah I teach Othello teach. actually yeah you teach Othello oh. yeah. oh cool so what what is the the play that you feel either closest to or or anything poems to but any work that you feel um, hmm. either symbolizes your your own work or weaves its way somehow into it or that you just um, yeah I mean I think about all the Shakespeare that I've either either read or had the opportunity to teach um you know that quote that quote too makes me think of there's a Willa Cather quote where she says there's only two or three human stories and we keep telling them over and over Mm -hmm. as if they'd never happened before or something Mm -hmm. like that uh you know the idea that and it's true I mean there's just like these basic plots that we try to make fresh and because they're fascinating plots um I think actually I love teaching a Midsummer Night's Dream and I, I feel like it's Shakespeare's YA, you know, it's, this, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this, uh, you know, it's, it's got more of a rom com feel than my books do, but like, mm-hmm. you know, young people in love and in lust and, uh, you know, feeling abandoned, feeling manipulated, um, feeling like they're, the adults in their world don't understand them. Uh, so I, I think I would, even though, I loved, uh, I love teaching Othello. I love teaching Romeo and Juliet and getting the kids to realize that uh, they always want it. They always think Romeo and Juliet's going to be so romantic. And then they're always like, these two are so dumb. <laughs> That's, That's the best. Like, I'll never so forget dumb. teaching. I remember forget teaching Romeo and Juliet to eighth graders. And this one kid, he looks at me and he goes, these two are idiots. <laughs> so great. But I would say, I would say Midsummer. I think. Is probably so the way yeah, it's like it's like Shakespeare's way. Like they go, they like go to a park and hang out in a blanket and drink too much wine, basically. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. So yeah. Sure. It's all these mix-up threes company esque mm-hmm. sort of <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say Midsummer. That's great. Okay, so the last section is our speed dating okay, for writers. Great. So this Yay. is all the stuff that's not in your author bio. Okay. And we just do quick questions and great. you can give us quick answers. Awesome. If you're game. I am. Okay. If I did a search and find in your Word docs, what word would I find you overuse? Mm. Shrugs. My characters are always shrugging. Oh. I hate it. <laughs> I gotta it's stop. So, like, but you want, I, oh, yeah, mine too. Shrugs. And yet you're like, but what else do you say? <laughs> <laughs> there's no other way. People do a lot of, there's even like emoticons. Yes, emoticons, shrugs. Right? Yeah. Shrugs. Yes. Uh, what word do you hate to hear misused um, or mispronounced? Uh, I hate, well, and I, I'll say this as an English teacher, I always am like so nice to people and to kids. Like 
they mispronounce a word or I, you know, it's, right. it's, uh, you know, cause it's, it's we're just learning. So yeah. I would never, ever shame anybody for mispronouncing a word, but there is part of me that cringes a little when I hear espresso instead of espresso <laughs> and I don't even drink espresso, but something about that just drives me bananas. God bless Dr. Parr. I was a freshman in college and I, it was like a reader response, turn it in the day of, and mm-hmm. I wrote intensive purposes. Oh, you're not the only one. So no, but nobody in high school saved me yeah. from myself, but she was very kind and just like wrote it out. You are so. not the only one who thinks that. I appreciate you not shaming me. No. Oh no. Never. <laughs> um, my turn. Yes. What's the title of the word doc last opened on your desktop? Last open on my desktop, uh, I think it was syllabus 2017, 2018, because <laughs> we're gearing up for the school year. Yeah. yeah, it's time. Yeah, I, I have my syllabus open on my <laughs> desktop. Also. Do you teach also? Yeah, for 2017. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. All I right. teach college. Oh, yeah. excellent. I didn't know that, Boo. Foo's taking an online course so he can teach an online course. Oh, <laughs> that's very meta. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is very meta. <laughs> No, it is. I, I taught a I taught an online course without ever taking one, and I really disliked it. But Ooh. I think I probably would have done better and enjoyed it more if I had taken one. Yeah. Jess can take it's... yours for you. <laughs> yeah. You would only have to Give pay him in whiskey. <laughs> if you weren't a writer or a teacher, you'd be a... I used to say I would be a nurse. I think it's probably still true if I could figure out how to take science and math. But, like... I like I love like the helping of it the fast pace like working with people directly like the elements of teaching that I like I think you mm-hmm. would do as a nurse also mm-hmm. but I am very bad at math and science so I don't know if I would have made it but I so Viv's, Viv's mom is your like, yes yes yeah, that's right that's right exactly <laughs> exactly what book is on your coffee table on my coffee table mm-hmm uh the houston it's worth it do you know that oh, picture no. book no I uh it. it's a the houston it's worth it campaign that came out a few years ago like these rogue advertisers are trying to make like it's like houston it's worth it despite the heat the cockroaches the no mountains the billboards <laughs> mosquitoes mosquitoes it's a great website houston it's worth it.com yeah so they have like a coffee table book that they put out which is like all the reasons people love houston oh, that's cool. despite all the flaws my, on my coffee table. I'm going to send it to Jess so she'll move down here. Come on down, I think it's down, the last, Jess. like, thing. Come on the down. Scale in that direction. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that will totally... Because Boston be sucks. Yeah, come on. <laughs> you don't need what to do live there. What do you guys have? What? Uh, I would just think of Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> you know, that's, totally. so, that's really cliche. Or Cheers. <laughs> we, have, we have seven months of winter. Yeah, so. we have none. I would love, <laughs> I love just months. like one of those. Can we just trade? I know, I just know. one. <sighs> yeah, we're, we're uh, gearing up to visit Jessica in November. And I'm tr- trying to work on my Casey Affleck. Oh. <laughs> I'll put your sandwich on layaway. That's perfect. How you like them apples? Seriously holds up though. It's funny. Like, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Really I've up. watched Manchester on the bay like ten times. Oh, I haven't seen it. it. I'm gonna see. We can't see it because Casey Affleck turned out to be kind of as gross, to wasn't he? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we don't like um, you. What's what? How many books are on your nightstand? Probably a lot. But what's what are a few of them? 
Um, well, I definitely read more in the summer. I have more time. Um, mm-hmm. The Circle by Dave Eggers I just finished, mm-hmm. which was freaky and scary and really good. The Girls by Emma Klein, which I just mm-hmm. finished also, was really great. Uh, right now uh, oh, is um, The First Rule of Punk. It's a middle grade novel uh, mm-hmm. by an, a writer named Celia Perez. And uh, we're actually going to, I think we're going to try to interview each other. The school library journal wants us because there's some similarities. It's like punk rock girls with zines. So I'm reading that now and uh, many, and many stacks of the New Yorker (laughs) also that I haven't read. I read widely. I read, I read everything I read. Well, that's not true. I don't read sci-fi or fantasy. Not that I don't appreciate it, but I, I don't tend to write it, uh, read it. But um, but everything else is somewhere in my on my nightstand. Mm-hmm. Speaking of middle grade, um, you mentioned Nathan Bransford. Yeah, it's in, my first in, agent. In, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I didn't know he was your first agent. Yes. Yes. At Curtis. Curtis Brown. Mm-hmm. Curtis yeah. Brown. Yeah. Um. So we. Yeah, I feel like I would not have a query letter without his. You know. Oh yeah. Even, even chose my query letter to be like workshopped in like, oh, the wow. online community, which is really helpful. Yeah, he is a huge uh, resource. He doesn't agent anymore, but he I is. Know, yeah. Such a and then I loved his middle grade novels. Yeah, I, I haven't read it. The Kapow ones. I need to read them. They're on Take my list. Yeah. 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 But anyway, he is just so. Middle, middle yeah. grade. I just, I literally was like, these these are fantastic. I can't wait. I have a six year old son. And oh, great. I need to, to I need to get them for my son then. Yeah. yeah, I never made him any money, which made me feel bad. <laughs> he took on, he took my first two books and they never sold. Oh. Uh, but he took a chance, and I appreciate that. And without him, I wouldn't be a published writer. So that's so cool. Yeah, is it my turn? I can't keep. Yes. It's like yeah. late at night for me. Yeah, me too. It's okay. So what's the book on the back of your toilet? On the back of my toilet. Um, I think it would be my phone. (laughs) (laughs) So all the books, all the books, all favorite writer with three names. I guess I'm trying to think. I would never. I'm not smart enough to read Infinite Jest. My husband's read it, Um, but I, David Foster Wallace's um, collection of essays is supposedly fun thing you'll never do again. Is is just one of the best collections ever, and the cruise ship essay. I think I've read that like fifteen <laughs> times. And, um, I'm not like I said. I'm not smart enough for his fiction, but his nonfiction, the essay about going to the Illinois State Fair. Like I mean, he's just he's great. He's, I just read uh, the essay on the uh, U.S. Open. Have you read that? Oh one? no, I haven't read that one. I need to read that one. He like was, goes through the strata of the Open Stadium, you know, from yeah. the like. People who have all the money. All, all the way up until the cheap seats. Yeah, it's definitely a talent that we lost uh-huh. too soon. Uh, the writer you would most like to have dessert with. Oh, wow. The writer I'd most like to have dessert with. Living or dead. Living or dead. I don't. You know who I just saw at Brazos? Uh, well, not at Brazos, but at a Brazos event. Um, Roxanne Gay. Like, I want to just hang out with her. She, oh, were you there? Sue and I were there. Oh my gosh, she's so. I just think she's she such is such a badass. She's such a badass. I just could listen to her talk all day long and ask her questions, and she's so nice too. Like in her signing line, and just she's just 
but she's claps back on Twitter and I just, she's just awesome. So I would just, I was just thinking, who have I just seen? Like, and I would definitely say her. She's awesome. That's who you would want to channel Kate with that guy. Yeah. That that. That oh my exactly God. She would have torn. She would have torn him a new one. Yeah. She's awesome. Like all actually probably without, swear, like Amy Poehler would have been great with swear words, but I bet Roxanne Gay could have done it Just some withering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she would have liberated yeah. his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like you're free. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Run. Um, the writer you'd most like to have sex with. Ah! <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Who am I thinking of? Who's like a dreamy... What have people said? I'm curious. What have people said? Um, our poet said um, Jane Ann Phillips. Graham. Or Jane Ann Phillips, oh, right? Was it? No, yeah. I think it was Jane Ann Phillips. Um, Someone said Jory Graham, I thought. Who did Mark say? He, he took the fifth. I know. Um, which Mark? Mark Doster took the fifth. <laughs> Mark Doster. Doster. Hilarious. He took the fifth. He's not even married or anything. It's not like he's going to get in trouble. I'm trying to think. Who would I pick? I have deep disappointment over that. I know. I'm trying. Who? Like I'm trying to think of a of a male writer that I admire, because to me that's appealing. Like not just that you're like yeah. dreamy. Um, I don't know. I'm blanking. I am really blanking. And I also just read a lot of women authors. Not that I don't find women beautiful, but I, I'm trying to think of like a male author. I don't know. I'm, I have to think about it. Let me okay, think about we'll it. I'm certainly not it. pleading the fifth. I'm not. Uh, we'll I'm, I would gladly tell you. Okay. <laughs> if I can think of somebody. You know what I feel like? I want to like whisper to everyone that Ethan Hawke has like two published novels. The Hottest State or something. I never <laughs> I never <laughs> read any Jackson, of his stuff. Right. I never read any they're of his really, stuff. They're really, I don't I don't even think he's that attractive, but it's just funny. Like I, I just did, feel like I, I would have that in my back pocket at all times. Oh, I know who I never thought of. The guy who went to who? U of H. Oh, <gasps> Nick Flynn. Oh, yeah. Well, not. He's dreamy. Not who I was thinking of. But he went, doesn't he teach at U of H? Yeah, he's he pretty does. dreamy. And he I love that memoir about his job. Also. Yeah, but another about nice guy yeah, in the yeah. world. He's I, pretty dreamy. We were talking about Vietnam. He had been there. And, really? Yeah, and so uh, I told him how to spell my name, and he recognized it was Vietnamese. And then uh, he started talking about his visit to Vietnam, and we, we had a nice, nice conversation, too. I sort of got like uh, he's married to the actress Lily Taylor, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, and they live in New York. Yeah, he's a dreamy guy. Lily Taylor, who was in a bunch of movies. Bunch oh, of I mean, movies. like every movie, yeah. but Bro, the movie indeed. that I mentioned in the book, which I oh, say anything. Yeah, yeah. say anything. Which oh, yeah, right. right. I think that might be my number one favorite movie. Ever. I love it too. I love it too. The scene, I was going to ask you the question about um, Kurt and Alice because that scene yeah. on the porch yeah. totally yeah. reminds me of Diane and Lloyd oh, and the like, boombox yeah. scene. Oh, that's it's a like, real compliment. So Thank you. <laughs> that's, the, that's the feeling I had when I was reading. I was, you know, that like butterflies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay, did you remember the other U of H person? Oh, who was the other U of H writer? He's an actor who also, uh, who also did creative writing. Oh, is it? But he never came. Is it? Are you talking about James Franco? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he, he, he did U of H? Well, he, he was accepted. He was accepted into the program, and yeah. I think he didn't come here. Well, then he can't be on this. Yeah, list. he he's pretty. I, yeah, he's pretty dreamy. I'll say. Maybe I would pick him, but I've never read any of his work. But I've heard him interviewed. He was kind of interesting. It wouldn't take much mm-hmm. for me. He's pretty cute. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll say those two guys, Nick Flynn and James Franco. That's a solid. Those list. are solid. It's pretty good. I agree. <laughs> solid, yes. <laughs> Much better than taking the fifth. Yes, yes, yes. yes. All right. Uh, Jessica, it's you. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, the writer you'd most like to have a beer with. Hmm. Most like to have a beer with. I think, let me think, let me think, let me think. You know what? I'll say, uh, I will say Emma Klein, whose book, The Girls, I just read, mm-hmm. because when I was done with it, I was such a nerd. I, I think it was, I think it was published by Knopf. Like, I went and found the reading, like, the reader discussion questions, you know, <laughs> that people use at book clubs. Nice. Uh, and I, I had this coworker that had read it, and I was texting her, like, what about this? What about this? So it was such a, it was a book that had me asking all sorts of questions. And so I would love to have a beer with her and just pick her brain about that book. It's awesome. It's cool. so good. Uh, a time in your life when you felt the worst about your craft, which we probably answered already, but maybe you have about my craft. Um, probably after college when I was working a bunch of random jobs and I was realizing that journalism wasn't for me. And I knew that I was wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know how to make that happen. And um, I used to make a zine, actually. That was one of the ways that I was trying to be creative, was I would make this zine and I would mail it to all my friends that I'd gone to college with. And uh, I just had no... So cool. It was fun. Was so cool it was, it was really fun and it was soul-saving, but at the same time, I was like, I, I thought, I really thought I was going to be like Joan Didion at 22 or something. We're all so young and naive. And I was like, when am I going to have a book? You know. And then I ended up taking this other path into writing English, uh, teaching English and writing young adult. And now looking back, it all makes sense. Yeah. You know, it all yeah. put me where I was supposed to be. So are the zine pictures yours in the book? The zines in Moxie are, yeah. I have the arc here. Um, so yeah, I made I Just made did you zines. see them on the Macmillan website? Yes. Aren't they amazing? Yeah, I made them. Oh. They're amazing. They were fun to make. I hadn't made, I hadn't made a zine in, in, I mean, I think I, the last one I made was, probably before my husband and I got married. I mean, it's probably 15 years ago, so I hadn't done it in a long time, and it was so fun to make them again. It just comes back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you read Sassy? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I loved Sassy. Biggest writing success. Well, we probably know that. <laughs> I don't, you know, I mean, I might say it was getting my last getting Moxie option, but honestly, my biggest success was selling my first book, I don't think there's mm-hmm. anything that can match the feeling of knowing that, you know, that somebody bought your book. And um, I always tell this story, but uh, when, uh, when The Truth About Alice got published, you know, you get a box of author copies per your contract. You know, you get like 20, 30 books. But my editor knew how anxious I was to get my hands on it that she sent me two copies ahead of the game before they could, you know, box them up and ship them out. That takes took more time. So she sent me two copies. So uh, I picked up my son at daycare. We came home. He was like three at the time. I opened up the package and I had these two hardcover books in my hands, Mm -hmm. two copies of The Truth About Alice. And I started crying because from the moment that I first started to try to write YA to holding that book in my hand, it had been seven years. Mm -hmm. In addition to all my years of, you know, wanting to write from being a child. And I started crying and it was very emotional. And my son said, Mom, why are you crying? Mommy, why are you crying? And I said, well, Mommy wrote this book. You know, and I, I held two copies. I said, Mommy wrote this book. And he goes, well, why did you write two of them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
like I'm having this, I'm having this like amazing moment, and, and this three year old just like like is like makes me laugh so hard. He's like, well, why'd you write two of them? Crazy. Like he thought his copy of Nuffle Bunny was the only copy of Nuffle Bunny in the world. <laughs> You know, and it's oh so God, funny now because he, ta- he, it's my husband was like, isn't it hilarious? Like Elliot's like, oh yeah, you wrote books. Yeah. You wrote that book devoted. You wrote like, yeah, you write books. Like he, like Kevin was like, it's so great that he's, he's not really impressed. I mean, he's proud, but he's not really, he's like, oh yeah, my mom writes books. Yeah. 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 Um, the best piece of writing advice you ever got. Um, I once heard the writer, she's a YA writer named Layla sales. And she said she did not, she didn't know who said it. So she's quoting somebody she couldn't remember. Uh, she said, writing is easy. There are only three rules. The only problem is that nobody knows what they are. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so and and uh, I heard her say that on a panel once at Austin Teen Book Festival. And, uh, and, I, and I was like, yeah. And so why I say that's the best advice is that to me, you can't take writing advice from anybody. Like I said earlier, like I write a little bit every day and that works for me. But like, some writers write with music. Some writers write at five in the morning. Some writers write, you know, they have, they'll write one day all day long and then they won't write again for another week. Like, I've heard a series of people lately tell me that they write to law and order. Yeah, yeah. I think Roxanne Gay said she does. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise Brene me. Brown. Yeah. Like, they'll go yeah. and just, oh, like, I, Now, I can't do that. But obviously, it's imagine. it's working for those two ladies. So, so my whole feeling is the best writing advice is don't listen to anybody else's advice. The only way you can figure it out is to do it and find out what works for you. And if it's working for you, then it's then it's the way to go. The best. Then it's mm-hmm. the best. Then yeah. It's so like people used to like you got to write every day. That's nonsense. Like there's a lot of people out there who write books that don't write every day. You know. But for some people, they have to. Yeah. Just figure it out mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that quote. Isn't that the best That's quote? The best. <laughs> no okay. one remembers. Yeah. No. The only problem is nobody knows what they are. <laughs> <laughs> Easy though. <laughs> Who the hell knows? Um, I loved how much you incorporated writing into your book. Like it just—it was so. It just gave me this like little firecracker feeling. Oh, in thank my, you. You know, thank you so much. Um, which sounds like a dangerous thing. Oh but, no, um... embolism. No, no, it's good. <laughs> thank you. So I'm wondering if you have a book that you feel like changed your life and like either made you into a writer mm. or just changed it in some like that was me before and right. me after um I would say as a teenager it's, it's a classic answer and it's why it's in the truth about Alice is was the outsiders it was the first time that I felt like I got lost in a world and I like I couldn't stop imagining it and thinking about it and that's, that's a fantastic list yeah well Jennifer thanks for coming on the show thank you so much for having me so enjoyed having I really had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you by Bloomsday Writing and Publishing. Write to be read. Find out more about partner publishing and cooperative writing at bloomsdaywriting.com. And by our friends at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, recording, graphic design, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. Production assistance and audio editing by Duke Liu. Our social media and marketing maven is Paula Liu. And our chief audio, visual, graphic, and everything else engineer is Fu Liu, who constantly reminds us the perfect is the enemy of the good and who loves us despite the fact that we consistently ignore him at our own peril. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bloomsday Writer. Show us some love. 
subscribe to our show and leave a review on iTunes.